He had amazing ability to wind up, even though he didn't speak English. <laughs> I liked him actually. I enjoyed it. You know, he was a tough guy, and he was aggressive, and he was he was angry. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Ben Jacobs is back with us this morning. Ben, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Very well at my end. Thank you. Yeah. Um, can we talk a little bit about uh, Leicester before we get to the new coach, uh, new manager at Brighton? How long do you think Brendan Rodgers has here? Is this a situation where he's going to be given some opportunity to turn things around or are we looking at something imminently? Well, I'll re-answer your first question when you said, how am I as a person born and bred in Leicester and as a Leicester fan? And now we're starting with Leicester. I'll change my answer to not very well. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> and not going too good at Leicester, unfortunately. And I think that there's a few considerations with Brendan Rodgers. The defeat against Tottenham as its own entity was bad, but when coupled with a 5-2 loss, against Brighton and really the last 18 months of steady decline it's very difficult for Brendan Rodgers to stay in that position because he's got a dressing room that are short of confidence he's got defenders in particular who are making a number of needless errors he's got foundational cores that are wrong at the football club particularly from set pieces Leicester are conceding for fun from corners as they proved against Tottenham and Brighton as well. But the consideration that the board have got really is twofold. One, financially, can they afford to get rid of Brendan Rodgers because the payoff is around 10 million quid? And then two, do they feel that he still has the coaching ability to turn the side around? And given that he's had no freedom in the last transfer window, and considering what he's done across his whole tenure at the football club, he's always had top but half finishes, he's won the FA Cup, he's had a European run with Leicester. Can he still turn things around? And I think that the fans feel no. I think that the dressing room is not refreshed enough due to the lack of new signings. I think there's ageing players that aren't really going to be able to weigh in and contribute like Jamie Vardy, for example. So suddenly there becomes pressure on a James Madison. You've got someone like Wilfred and Diddy who used to be reliable and isn't really as consistent and bossing games like he used to. And then at the back, there's of course no Wesley Fofana or Kasper Schmeichel and Danny Ward is proving a bit of a liability as well. So when you add all of that up, Leicester in big, big trouble. You have to unfortunately look at them as relegation candidates right now. And I think if they could afford to get rid of Brendan Rodgers, they would. So where we stand at the moment is that there will be some talks over the course of the next two days between Brendan Rodgers and the board. And if Rodgers, for example, was to agree to go by mutual consent and help the club financially move on, because it's the right time to make a change, then that will be that. And I think that he'll depart. But there is definitely still a chance at the moment that he'll stay because Leicester can't afford to get rid of him and because at the moment they don't have another replacement lined up. Yeah, and and from his perspective, if you were his agent or his manager, you'd be saying, well, why would you take a pay cut? You won an FA Cup for this crowd. You know, you, you brought them to within uh, moments of Champions League football and so therefore they signed you to this contract. They should honour it. I, I understand from the fans' perspective, they're like, well, that's not really, that's that's not much fun. But can I just, this all seems um, like it, it's a money issue and it's a financial fair play issue, apparently, is, is one of the things that's been spoken about. But what what was behind the Schmeichel transfer? Because it feels like 
he was kind of some kind of totemic figure, like uh, the Samson-esque hair. Once they cut that, everything else was revealed. Yeah, I think with Schmeichel, it was a case of age, really. And Leicester can't continue to reward well-paid players that won the Premier League when they're slightly past their peak. And Schmeichel's still a very good goalkeeper. I think fans would argue better than Danny Ward, but in his late 30s and towards the end of last season, there was some talk that Brendan Rodgers would start to bring in Ward a bit more with a view to replacing Schmeichel. And there's no way that Schmeichel wanted to stay at Leicester and be a number two. So I think he was looking at his future towards the back end of last season. And maybe his anticipation would have been that Leicester would have brought in another goalkeeper rather than necessarily Ward. Leicester, for example, were looking at Dean Henderson and Dubravka as well, who subsequently went to Manchester United, but as their number one, not as their number two. So Schmeichel's agent was probably looking and he was very high on the wage bill. And even though some fans were shocked by his departure, I think that Leicester just needed to have a bit of a clean out. And the financial consideration is partially down to financial fair play. But it's also due to the fact that Leicester are handcuffed because they've spent a lot of money behind the scenes. So that's on the wage bill, which has steadily crept up, particularly for the longer standing players. And you have to do that because if you win the Premier League, if you get to the quarterfinals of a Champions League, if you nearly make UCL football in back-to-back seasons, and then if you finish in the top half, guess what? Every single one of them gets a bonus. And the reason for that is because you're Leicester City Football Club. You're not Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City and so on. So you have to pay these players for every part of success, whether they just miss out on Champions League and end up in the Europa League or whether they finish in the top half. All of that is your yardstick for bonuses. So Schmeichel has been able to cash in much like Vardy every single season and the wage bill creeps up. And then Leicester have also built a fantastic new training facility. They want to expand the King Power Stadium. All of this requires money and it's very difficult for a club like Leicester to stay within financial fair play. So that's part of the consideration with letting Schmeichel go as well. And because Leicester to had to sell before they could buy and because Schmeichel unlike Fafana doesn't come with a massive transfer fee Leicester had no real ability to move over this summer and I think that when you have a thin squad you've had injury problems morale dips you start conceding goals and then you can't bring in that extra bit of quality here and there plus Fafana departing all of that adds up to a football team that are really in decline at the moment and need to hope they can stabilise in the short term because if they can get through this season and stay up, then because then they won't have that outlay for a new training facility and because they won't imminently have to spend everything to upgrade the King Power Stadium, they might have a bit more freedom to spend some of that Wesley Fofana money, get back up on their feet because on paper, there's still a lot of potential there. But if they slip too far this season and go down, then all that hard work and success of seasons gone by goes straight out the window. Is there any sense that the Rogers message is just kind of worn out a bit with the players? It's a good question. I think the fans see it that way. The decline can't only be seen in the context of a very frustrating summer and the beginning to this season. You have to look at it over the last 18 months and determine whether Brendan Rodgers is now moving the club in the right direction. And ever since probably Leicester missed out for the second time two seasons back on Champions League football, things have not been going well. And what Rodgers was able to inherit and where the football club was, was pretty strong. And then he was backed by this Thai ownership group and had 
upwards of 200 million to spend over the course of a couple of windows. But from that point onwards, Leicester didn't clinch Champions League football. A little bit harsh in some respects to say they should have done. But then if you flip it where they were coming the end of the season and even by final day in back-to-back seasons, they should have qualified for the Champions League. So if you'd have said it at the beginning of the season, you might, much like when they won the Premier League, have been laughed out the room. But by the end of that season, the fact they didn't make either of those seasons in the top four, it was really poor. And then last season, I think that Leicester just became less of a progressive, less of a direct, less of a dynamic team, far less speedy on the counter-attack, far less creative. They ended up kind of taking more possession, but with less M result. And that frustrated the fans because the style of football wasn't as explosive, wasn't as energetic. And the team just generally didn't look as hungry. And then when you take on the fact that Vardy can't be relied on for all the goals, there were only a few bright lights that were consistent. Madison was one player of the season. Fafana was another. But beyond that, I I think Leicester just looked a bit toothless at times. They conceded too easily from set pieces. And then uh, at the other end, you just had no real belief that they could find enough goals consistently in games after that they conceded to get maximum points and get over the line. So the decline has been there for a while. And that, I think, is why if Leicester can afford to get rid of Brendan Rodgers, they will. Uh, One of our commenters who... um uh, claims the moniker Celtic on YouTube says to be fair to Brendan Leicester have played Arsenal, Manchester United, Chelsea and Spurs already and the next four are against Forest, Bournemouth, Palace and Leeds give him those four to see how he does is he I mean that's not really how football works is it if you're the owners you're like oh our new manager's going to come in and get an immediate bounce we look like geniuses because he's got these four easy games um, that's more likely to happen than them saying well let's give him those four games to turn things around Yeah, and also remember when Leicester played Manchester United, Manchester United were not exactly flying. They'd had a little bit of an upturn. They started the season against Brentford. They were 2-0 up. They drew 2-2. They played against Southampton. They were 1-0 up in the game. They lost by two goals to one. They scored early against Brighton. They got hammered 5-2. They took the lead against Tottenham. They got hammered 6-2. So I don't think you can exactly say that Leicester have had a horrific start to the season. Uh, And actually, when they lost away at Chelsea, they played okay in that game. They should have got something from it because Chelsea went down to 10 men pretty early when Conor Gallagher was sent off. So when people look at the fixtures, you're taking those teams by name, not by the nature of how they were playing when Leicester actually came up against them. Chelsea was not a particularly difficult fixture for Leicester after they went down to 10 men, which is why they were disappointed to get nothing from the game. Manchester United were better for sure, but let's not forget it wasn't too far after their horrific starts of the season and Leicester were at home at that game and historically in the last few seasons have had quite a good record at home to Manchester United a few years back. They beat them by five goals to two even. So I, I think that Rodgers will only be given time because either Leicester is still lining up their ducks, lining up their finances and lining up a replacement. And then if there is an upturn in form, who knows, the board might reconsider because they are a little bit patient and uh, they have been historically uh, as well. But, you know, if there wasn't that 10 million right there in terms of compensation, then I think Rogers would have been gone already over the weekend. One last thing about this before we move on. Um, there's a, a perception outside of, of Leicester that actually Rogers has done 
quite a good job and won't be too damaged by what's going on here. But listening to what you're saying about the team becoming a possession base but not having any cut and thrust, like that's not really how football works at the moment. Those managers uh, don't tend to be very successful at the elite level. Is there still a possibility that Brendan Rodgers becomes an elite manager or has that ship sailed for him, do you think? Well, I think he's damaged in the sense of if you flash back three seasons to when Leicester were flying and then there was the COVID break, they entered into that COVID break around uh, about double digits clear of fifth place, which is why it was so disappointing when football resumed that they didn't make Champions League football. So at that point, I think he's in the conversation for the Manchester United job, which ended up coming up and other elite level gigs. Now he's not in that conversation. Brighton, for example, considered him, but then never moved or even started conversations and instead obviously moved on to Deserby instead, who ended up being their only candidate. And that sort of tells you everything, really, that teams of that potentially Villa or Everton, if there ends up being vacancies there, uh, not really looking at him anymore. And I don't think Brendan would have any problem, by the way, walking into the Everton job if that ever became available, despite his Liverpool links. So is his reputation damaged? Well, not necessarily, because people understand the financial constraints at Leicester. And he remains a great coach. He remains a good man manager. He remains an excellent developer of young talent. And I think that the board and sporting directors at various clubs he's been on, for example, that recruitment model at Liverpool, really enjoyed working with him. He's a people person. But I think where he's fallen is kind of almost staying in touch with the game. And it moves so quickly. And I think that the managers now that are gaining real success, are able to be quite fluid with their formations. They're able to change from a back three to a back four. They're very embracing of data and of science. And I think the Rogers has got his way and it is to some extent science and data driven. But when it doesn't work, because he likes to keep the ball and because he likes to change pace and play on the counter-attack at times too when he doesn't have the ball. All of that can get quite exposed if you lack creativity because you have so much of the ball that it's there for all to see that you're short of ideas. So I think he lacks that bit of creativity now. He lacks that perhaps flexibility tactically to change a game And that's the one thing that I've been disappointed in over the last 18 months, that Rodgers, when things are flying, great. The confidence just builds momentum. The team is hungry. The talent's there for all to see. And he's got a real eye for talent. But when things aren't working now, those tactical changes, whether personnel or formation, aren't working for him. And when you look at that over 18 months, rather than just the first seven games of the season, I think that tells you that he has lost uh, a little bit of nous and for want of a better word I don't mean this too derogatory intelligence to really turn a game around on that I think like it, it's so difficult now in terms of the evolution of the game and as as Ben says just like the the good manager a few years ago now has a totally different task and it's 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 not easy like most managers are going to end up as failures because well, that's the way that's the that's, that's the, the game, ball game but it's just and that's like why they, when you look at Tuchel and you're like you know there were circumstances there but there's so much going on in terms of um, tactical now obviously data um, you know 
the young the young guy of today is a little bit different to maybe the young guy of ten years ago, but it's seriously, seriously difficult, and you just have to keep evolving. I yeah. think, and you know, I, I I'm I'm not going to lie and say I know enough of Brendan Rodgers to say that he's not like that, but it's difficult. It's very, very. It difficult. is maybe you're even exactly Klopp, you look at Klopp needs, now. You're like, you does know? Klopp does Klopp have to evolve to? You know, uh, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, he, we'll see. I think the time off is going to do Liverpool quite well. Uh, let's talk about the situation at Brighton. They've uh, announced that, or will announce tomorrow at least that. Roberto De Gerbi is going to be their new manager and he fits into that structure really well. What do you know about this guy? Yeah, I think he's a really good appointment. In the end, it was the only candidate that Brighton seriously explored. And you can look at his time at Shakhtar and obviously due to the war, he chose to leave that club. So he's been in a state of limbo, really waiting for his next big job. But we can also judge him from his time at Sassuolo as well, where he took a very small club and got two eighth place finishes in Serie A and almost qualified for European football as well in the Europa Conference League. And he's a very good fit for Brighton, his two preferred formations, a 3-4-3 and 4-3-3. And he can interchange between them pretty freely. And I think what will work within how Brighton play is, first of all, there's some similarities with Graham Potter and his style. And second of all, he's a very patient coach. He likes to build slowly from the back and then have a lot of turns of paces. So you'll see Brighton have a fair amount of the ball. You'll see them play quite calmly and methodically and safely at the back. And then out of nowhere, you'll see turns of paces and quick movements forwards, which can be quite unsettling for teams. And therefore, he'll be looking to bring in players over time that are very hungry and have got a lot of speed. And we saw it at Sassuolo and also Shakhtar as well, that he likes a change of direction, a diagonal ball either on the ground or even one or two long balls as well. Not as many as uh, perhaps Brighton have played before. We, we saw Graham Potter quite like those sort of chip balls or uh, long balls, but safe long balls that change the direction. De Zebri uh, perhaps likes to keep the ball on the ground a little bit more. And he also likes to go through the centre as well. So the role of the wide players will very much be to kind of make the pitch as big as possible, but to do a lot of work off the ball and then when they're actually involved on the ball he'll want them to cut inside at least to be part of the phase of play so to move in quickly and play a short pass and then to get back out wide or to start out wide and then to burst into the box so we're going to see a lot of efforts from this Brighton side under him to play very centrally and to be fast and to take teams by surprise and Potter was like that to some extent as well. So I think he'll be very good. We've also seen him work with young players at Shakhtar. For example, he had Mudrik, the so-called Ukrainian Neymar, who's done very well in the Champions League so far with two goals in two games. And that's good news because Brighton's mentality is to bring some of these young players through. So when you look at the mid-20s or beyond, like a Trossard or a Gross or a Welbeck or a Lalana, they're there because they're solid Premier League players. Webster falls into that category as well, who can make sure that Brighton stabilise and try and stay where they are in the table or somewhere close, pushing for either top half or European football. But beneath that, you've got the excellent Alexis McAllister, you've got Moses Caicedo, you've got Purvis Estepinian, who's effectively replaced Mark Kukure, you've got Tarek Lamptey and Levi Colwell, who's on loan from Chelsea. And those young players 
are Brighton's future. Even though Colwell was only on loan, they'd love the ability to sign him. I don't think that Chelsea would allow it. And that's where I think that Deserbi is going to be very useful to Brighton because he's kind of accustomed to bringing through young talent. He's a real tactician. So when we talk about developing a young player, what do we mean? Well, there's the data side that he's very big on. So projecting your development literally in numbers and working out where there is scope to improve. And then there's that intelligence in terms of what are your weaknesses and how can you develop and how do you actually learn from that day on day? Well, it's watching videos, it's running through game management style scenarios to try and get better positioning or uh, better control of the game and work out how you can improve under pressure. And then there is perhaps that final aspect with young talent of just actual match time yeah. and you're not going to learn unless you're playing and given the opportunities and when does the manager think you're right and that's down to kind of gut instinct and risk reward at some times like look at Arsenal bringing on a 15 year old but they're 3-0 up in the game so you can do that and that's the call of the manager and I think that this is where he's going to be very strong because he's used to kind of taking underdogs and improving them and quickly as well we saw this uh, Swolo, most notably, he really was able to take a team almost instantaneously and improve their amount of time on the ball, improve their um, directness and their clinical nature in the final third, improve their defensive numbers, all within a kind of nine-month period. And if you look at the graph of all of the key metrics, they just went through the roof. So that's all very good news for Brighton. And I think there will hopefully be quite a smooth transition, therefore, from him uh, taking over from Graham Potter because they share a lot of the same values. All right, Ben, good, good to have you with us again. Thanks a million for that. Cheers. All the best. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.